0: Welcome to episode 37 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the father, also known as Pastor Matt, also known as Matt Rawlings. And I am joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Jackson, the son. And today we're discussing a movie where Neil Marshall gives us one more reason
1: to never go into the woods or forest ever again. I mean, this guy won't (laughs) stop throwing stuff at us.
0: Uh, Folks, we are a spoiler podcast, so be warned, we do spoil the movies we discuss And today we are discussing Jackson's pick, the 2002, as he said, Neil Marshall werewolf film, Dog Soldiers. Think about it.
1: Up until today, you believed there was a line between myth and reality. Those
0: things out there are real. So before we get to it, uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask you, but it doesn't sound like off mic. There was much. What have you been watching this week? Anything? Uh, No, just short films for the most part.
1: Um, Haven't had a lot of time, had a lot of schoolwork. You know, they're trying to figure out this whole uh, functioning during a pandemic thing. I did watch, uh, this is not horror related at all, but Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, (laughs) <laughs> uh, which is a pretty great sequel to a pretty great eighties movie. Um, in preparation for the new Bill and Ted
0: uh, great,
1: uh, entertaining. Okay. Let's say That much. Okay. Uh, it, it was in preparation for the new Bill and Ted movie, which is still presumably coming out this year. I don't know how movie yeah. releases are going to work, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I watched that Watched driving with Miss Daisy, which is about as far from horror as you can get. But, um, yeah, that was, that was something it's a best picture winner. So I had to, uh, You know, had to watch it just to fill in my gaps when it comes to the Oscars. So Driving Miss Daisy and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, not exactly what you'd expect from a horror fan, but, you know, whatever. It's still two movies I sat down and watched. But I was very grateful to be able to watch
0: this movie we're talking about today because it was a treat. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I haven't. You know, being uh, uh, quarantined uh, with our lovely editor, Megan, who doesn't like horror films, means I haven't been able to watch a lot of horror films either. We did watch uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which she hadn't seen Friday night, and she really liked it. Uh, We watched uh, Malcolm X on Turner Classic Movies, which I haven't seen since I saw it in the theater back in 1992 in Lakeland, Florida, which is Gilman Joel's territory, Um, and unfortunately, she's wanted to watch a lot of rom-coms. Uh, But this week, the one thing we did watch, I haven't finished it yet. I'm five episodes in, is The Tiger King Mm -hmm. on Netflix. Um, Folks, I grew up in Appalachia. And I've never seen something as rednecky as this. Um, I, I want to watch it so bad. Oh, Everybody on Twitter is raving about it. Oh, I have been to dirt track races. I've <laughs> never seen anything as rednecky as this. I have been to a ZZ Top and Kid Rock concert, and I have never seen anything <laughs> as rednecky as this. It is a redneck hurricane, folks. Whoo, wow. I'm um, going to finish that up tonight. But anyway. All right. We're talking about Dog Soldiers from 2002. Uh, IMDb says a routine military exercise turns into a nightmare in the Scotland wilderness. Well, that's kind of right. You know, mm-hmm. they shot it in Luxembourg. and um, But anyway, I, I only saw this uh, a few years ago um, because it came out on sci-fi here in the United States when I was in law school, where I wasn't able to watch a lot of TV. But I loved Neil Marshall's The Descent. I love werewolf movies, so I was all in when it popped up on Amazon Prime a few years ago and now as we record this it's on Shutter. What are your initial thoughts buddy on Dog Soldiers?
1: Well, my first impressions were that uh I At first I thought it was kind of cheesy, I got to admit, when I first saw that opening scene with the hikers and they're in the tent uh, They're kind of exchanging those typical slasher victim, you know, back and forth kind of dialogue And I was like, okay, I see where this is going They're in the tent and the werewolf attacks them, it's an unseen werewolf And you're like, okay, I get it, this is what this movie's going to be But then it kind of takes a turn And uh, the writing becomes really, really strong out of nowhere, this camaraderie between these soldiers. And I was like, okay, I'm back in. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's not your typical werewolf movie in that... It's also like a character drama. You really feel for these characters that are written like real people. Uh, There's a lot of growth and a lot of great monologues from these guys, which is not something you'd usually see in like a comedy. Not a comedy. Well, it's got some comedy moments in it. It's Uh, got
0: comedic moments, but not especially. Yeah, it's like an American werewolf in London where John Landis said it's not a comedy. The comedy is intentional, but it's not a comedy.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it, I think it they've got characters like Joe and Spoonie who are the comedic relief, though they do have their moments where they act serious and then they contribute to some really cool action set pieces. But for the most part, it's an action horror movie, and much in the same way I think 28 Days Later was. And I think there were some parallels to 28 Days Later, which we'll talk about later. But first impression, cheesy, but as I watched on, it really grew on me.
0: Yeah, so... I- I can see where you're coming from. This is my second time through. We'll talk about how I think it improved on a second viewing. Um, But let's talk first about the cast, which I think once, I think you're right. I mean, that opening scene is really just to set up the Chekhov's gun, right? Mm -hmm. It's that, you know, we're going to see that uh, silver, you know, thing again. Um, But the cast, you've got Kevin McKidd as Private Cooper. Uh, I guess most people will know him from Grey's Anatomy as Dr. Owen Hunt. I don't watch it, but Megan loves it. But he's also great at HBO's Rome, which was uh, John Milius' baby. Uh, the first season of Rome is, is brutal, but it's really good. And he's excellent in it. And I, I pretty much love anything John Milius does. But Kevin McKidd as Private Cooper, our, our, our protagonist, what do you think of him?
1: Uh, at first, I didn't think there was anything special about him. Uh, had kind of a valiant moment when it comes to the dog and Captain Ryan in the beginning when he's trying out to be special ops. But he really grew on me. I think he went from just some kind of, um, you know, your average Joe kind of guy where he could just be anybody. He's just filling the mold to somebody you, you really sympathize with. He takes his leadership position. And I think that makes him like a really strong character by the end of the of the runtime.
0: Yeah, he's I mean, look, I I mean, I I don't know if this is what you mean by cheesy, but, you know, you've got Chekhov's gun in the first scene. And then in the second scene, we're introduced to Cooper, who basically refuses to join the Special Forces group because they want him to shoot a dog. And he refuses to do it. That's the save the cat moment, right? That Mm -hmm. tells you this is a good guy. This is the guy you need to be rooting for. So there's some early tropes there. But um, I I like Kevin McKidd. It's not going to make me watch Grey's Anatomy, but I do like (laughs) Kevin McKidd. Uh, then we get to Sean Pertwee as, I love this, Sergeant H.G. Wells, mm-hmm. Harry G. Wells. Uh, horror fans will know Pertwee from uh, especially Event Horizon. Uh, apparently, I've never seen the show. He was also uh, Alfred on Gotham, the TV show. Uh, what do you think of Sergeant H.G. Wells he was my favorite character in the whole movie. really
1: yeah Um. I think the thing that hooked me was the Eddie monologue near the beginning when he's talking about his time in the military Um. actually like on the field and he tells this whole long monologue about this kind of ironic fate this guy met and how you know disgusting that the, the horrors of war basically so that was you know amazing very long monologue by Sean Pertwee uh, really great, convincing acting. But he has a couple of those moments throughout the movie. I mean, it's not just that one scene. He has a lot of really great—he's he's kind of like a father figure to the rest of the people in the group just because he outranks them. But by the end, he just—he um, becomes one of them, and eventually—this is a spoiler podcast—he eventually sacrifices himself in a very noble way, in an awesome way, I think, in an awesome action set piece— Um, So, yeah, definitely the sergeant, Sergeant H.G. Wells was my favorite character. And Sean Pertwee does an awesome job in the role.
0: Yeah, he does the kind of sacrifice like uh, the scientist in T2, if you remember Mm -hmm. that. Remember? Not so sure I can hold it. That kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have Liam Cunningham as Captain Ryan, the head of the Special Forces group, who most people recognize from Game of Thrones. Did you? Uh, I've only seen the first season of Game of Thrones and a little bit of season
1: seven, so that wasn't the first thing that came to mind. I did recognize his face, but I
0: wasn't exactly sure, you know, how I could pin that down. Yeah, he was Davos. But yeah, if you look on his IMDb page, he has a lot of credits, and mm-hmm. which is great because I, I read a little bit about him. He was an electrician in the 1980s, mm-hmm. and he saw an ad for an acting class, gave it a shot and seems to have worked out for the fella yeah yeah really (laughs) yeah he's he's good in this movie but he's the character you'd love to hate yeah 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 yeah. and um sorry getting text messages in here from from people at church um they should know i'm recording i tell them this um but yeah he he usually plays you know a fairly good guy but here he plays a good scumbag i think yeah Yeah, he's detestable. I think one
1: of the notes I just wrote down is uh, one of the lines in the movie is, you know, Megan kind of encouraging the rest of the soldiers to torture Ryan because she's had a run in with him earlier. But that's revealed later. Um, And I was thinking in my head, yeah, I would torture him, too. Every single thing that's come out of his mouth is either kill the dog, you're all going to die, just give up, or, you know, something along those lines. He's just a Debbie Downer, and he's, like, actively working against the gang the entire time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking at his IMDb right now. There's a lot on there. There's not a lot that I recognize. He was not First Night in 95 with Sean Connery, um, and that was only a few years after he started acting, so that's pretty Pretty mm-hmm. impressive, I would say. He was in the remake of Clash of the Titans. We'll forgive him for that. Um, he was in uh, Spielberg's War Horse. Um, so, yeah, he's done and done a lot of television. A lot of television that I'm looking at here. I'm trying to see what was the last thing. Oh, he did a voice on Rick and Morty. Oh, that's unexpected. <laughs> yeah, he did an episode uh, of Doctor Who, too. So
1: Yeah, well, so obviously... It pays
0: off to take acting lessons. That's what I'm hearing from this episode so far. Electricians everywhere. Take that Mm -hmm. acting class. You never know where to go. Um, Then we have Emma Cleesby as Megan. She doesn't have a lot of credits. Um, She does a good job, but there is a twist that we will talk about in a minute that she alluded to. But I thought she did a good job as Megan. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I agree. And she, I mean, she kind of... It seems to me like she was written as that stereotypical, you know, strong female where she does a couple you know really helpful things, but she kind of made it her own, I feel like, and gave it a lot of like, I don't she brings a theatrical presence to it, and as I understand it, she is a theater actress, which makes yeah. a lot of sense. Um, so I mean, it started out just kind of stereotypical, but as the movie went on and up until the twist, I really liked her character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We will talk about the twist. Any, any other members of the cast you want to talk about before we move on to cinematography? Uh, not really
1: anybody in particular. I just think that the whole cast is really well suited for this movie. It's kind of the same way that The Descent was, where they all feel like real people that you sympathize with, yeah. uh, and they feel like they were made to play these roles.
0: Was it Spoon who was always asking about the soccer match score? That was Joe, I think. Joe. Okay, Joe. Okay, okay. Um joe is the
1: the football guy and then uh spoon is the guy that goes kind of ape with the knife at the end on the werewolf so i'd I'd love to talk about that scene where the guy attacks the werewolf because that was brutal but uh yeah the whole cast just in general is really great
0: yeah the the cinematography like this was shot on a pretty low budget two million Uh, i think i saw yeah and it did not get a theatrical release in the united states went straight to sci-fi it did get a theatrical release in in europe but they do a lot of shooting from the monsters pov mm-hmm. they do kind of a poor man's wolfen thing yeah. have you have you ever seen wolfen
1: no just i mean i've obviously have seen clips and stuff online because it's everywhere. But I could definitely tell that uh, it was ripping, even Predator maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just that stereotypical, you know, the lens looks a little weird and it's got a filter on it so that it looks like it's from a monster's perspective kind of thing.
0: For low budget, I thought the cinematography was decent. What do you think?
1: Yeah, there were a few standout moments, uh, like the part where they're all firing upon the werewolves and there's that close-up shot. Uh, where the guy's pumping the shotgun and the camera kind of moves with it. I was like, OK, this is kind of cool. Edgar Wright-esque style mm-hmm. editing in some parts. But um, for the most part, I don't think the cinematography or the editing was the strongest part. I think that was more uh, the acting, the
0: writing and uh, the action. Those were the strongest parts of this movie. Yeah. And did you know, you bring up Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg was cast in this film. But he backed out because Ed, his buddy Edgar Wright asked him, said, no, hold off so we can do Shaun of the Dead together.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, uh, they're competitors, I guess, technically. Um, this, this is another European monster comedy around the same time, which is kind of strange because uh, they kind of saw a resurgence of that during the early 2000s. But there had been none of that during the early to late
0: 90s. Yeah. yeah, so what about the creatures? What did you think of the werewolf design here? Okay,
1: yeah, I like it, but I liked it more in the beginning than I did by the end. Uh, what I mean by that is whenever we just saw glimpses of them, like they're, they're running by in the forest and we get a quick cutaway to them whenever the guys are shooting guns at them, yeah. uh, they looked really good then. Uh, but as we saw more and more of them, they still look good, but the way they move is a little stiff.
0: Yeah, but I, <clears throat> it was practical. Mm-hmm. Um he had dancers playing the werewolves. And okay. uh, they were on like uh stilts basically.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I was wondering why they were so tall. Like where does that extra bone, you know, where does that extra matter come from?
0: How did they get taller? Yeah, that's where that um came from. I kind of like the werewolf design. I'll tell you why. I get, I see so many werewolf uh movies, even American Werewolf in London, where the werewolves look more like dogs. Mm-hmm. then they do like the classic kind of werewolf. I mean, and so this one kind of cut in between, between like the howling and the wolf man. And I kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you look at them, when you pause on them, it's like a real
1: wolf head on top of a hairy human body. Yeah. So they used an actual wolf for reference. It wasn't just like a human with a long snout, like an American werewolf in London. Uh, but, I, I still think they looked better at the beginning when we didn't see them that much, but I think it was a bold decision to feature them so prominently by the end. I mean, they are on screen a lot and they're not really in shadow either. Like in well-lit
0: scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Near the end. You're, you're absolutely right. So yeah, I, I dug it and I, you know, it's, it's a low budget thing. No, it's not the howling, um, which, you know, I guess that was, was that Rob Bottin, I guess, who did the howling and, and, um, you know i think the the transformation scene and scenes in the howling are it's not an american werewolf in london transformation as far as the transformation itself but i liked the werewolves in the howling a lot more than i do in an american werewolf in london mm-hmm. because it just looks like a dog and so <clears throat> i i kind of dug it but um I, I think if you'd had it at like 10 million i think they would have looked awesome
1: yeah and that's the thing this this movie had 2 million there was a planned sequel fresh meat i think it's called Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: where they were going to have 5.5 million. So over two times the budget of the first movie. And I would have loved to see what Neil Marshall would have done with that. But unfortunately that was canned.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, um, it's a shame. I know Marshall was interviewed just a few years ago and asked if there'd ever be a sequel. And he said, nah, it doesn't look like it. Uh, but who knows? It's, it's grown in popularity over the years. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't know. Um, so let's talk about the screenplay. Um, Neil Marshall said that he began working on the screenplay after walking out of the theater, seeing an American werewolf in Paris. And he said he thought that was so terrible. The world needed to make a good werewolf movie. <laughs> um, there are a lot of tropes here to be sure, but um, I like that you've alluded to this. I like the characters he created. Um, I I think the dialogue feels very much like those characters. I thought it was a decent screenplay, especially for, I think it was his first screenplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really dug the
1: dialogue. I think that was the strongest feature, um, especially when it's these soldiers, you know, talking to each other and they've got their own kind of language, which is a mix between like, I guess, Scottish or British slang mixed with like army lingo. So, I mean, there there's a moment where Megan asks, you know, what they're talking about and she's kind of playing, uh, you know, devil's advocate for the the. You know the audience members who wouldn't know right. either, but um, the way they talk to each other, they do feel like comrades. They do feel like friends. You can tell that they've grown this bond together because they're so comfortable around each other. Like at the beginning of the mission, they have no idea what they're getting themselves into, but they're talking about watches and about the football game, and uh, and you know they're all kind of bad mouthing each other. But it's the same way that siblings kind of do, where they they yeah. all you know they act like they hate each other, but they really don't. So you can tell that when they lose somebody from that group, they really care. So uh, the characters were definitely the strongest part. I think the script, like the plot as a whole, it does fl- like kind of have those flaws that you would see in a more low budget thing. And I guess this is low budget, but it feels higher budget than it is. Um, like the twist and um, some of the tropes that it falls into, kind of predictable. You kind of saw it coming, but didn't want it to come. Um, but the dialogue and the, you know, the, all the characters, very strong.
0: Absolutely. And and there's some great moments here, some great, um, I don't even know if you call it a jump scare, but I love it when like the mauled cow falls off the cliff into the camp or is is thrown off the cliff into the camp.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, are immediate, you know, all of them are immediately like, call it in, call it off. You know what I mean? The the Mm -hmm. cow's too much. They had no idea what was coming. The, the cow was the least of their worries. Yeah. Uh, and th- that came right after this guy told a whole, you know, a whole story about this guy being blown up by a mine and then picking his guts off the ground. And then a cow comes and explodes
0: on their camp. Uh, kind of a little bit of dramatic irony or something. I don't know. Oh, I loved it. Because I, I, I just really was not expecting it. And, I, so, and then like the super glue thing. You know, you've got the sergeant and yeah. Sergeant Wells, and so they patch him up with, with super glue. I had always heard that, but that's actually an urban myth, as far as I can tell. That's not true, but I love how he worked that in there. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed, um, Sean Pertwee, before he did that scene, asked if he could have something to drink in order to play it more authentically. And Marshall said... He was really drunk.
1: <laughs> yeah, he seems really drunk. Uh, my, I, I wrote it down. I wrote it down uh, during that scene where he's mixing pain meds with alcohol because he's about to have a surgical procedure done on him. Um, he says is it my birthday, hey, hey, while shaking and jumping <laughs> up and down, while his guts are hanging out, which is so darkly hilarious. It was like trauma levels of stuff. This guy's guts are hanging out. There are werewolves all around. He's drunken on pain meds and screaming. Uh, so that was, that's where the, the comedy comes into it. But then it's immediately followed by some horrifying like medical gore, uh, just like oh, hearing yes. the
0: sounds and, and thinking about how that would feel. Yeah, I love that proceeding where his guts are hanging out. He's like, "My guts cool. are hanging out." My kid's like, "Well, we'll just push him back in. They'll fit." Yeah,
1: <laughs> and and later on, okay, so in that scene, I do want to talk about the special effects. Did yep. you did you think those were convincing? Enough. I did not. I watched it with full brightness on my screen and it was obvious to me that they were jelly, like jello, red jello, okay. Like sausage things
0: uh but well let me tell you this buddy if you go the tom savini route yeah and you and you go to the butcher like he did in day of the dead oh no and you know it was like well yeah 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 exactly when that when the entire cast is trying to keep from gagging you know because it's just so rancid um i think i'd risk the jello if i were you because you don't want you know people throwing up all over the place um but in that scene also when you know uh the private hits him the kid hits him the second time Mm -hmm. he accidentally really hit him but perched where he didn't say anything because he was so drunk he just literally passed out
1: (laughs) yeah i I looked pretty authentic i was surprised by how authentic that looked because some of the and and sounded some of the sound effects in the movie are kind of like exaggerated they hold up their guns and they'll go chink chink you know what i mean Like, like guns actually do uh but um during that scene, when he punches him, it sounds like a real punch. And I was like, whoa, that was that was pretty brutal. Um, yeah, I can definitely believe that he did look like he was out cold. And I think when I was filming that scene, I would want to be out cold too. You know, you're you're <laughs> you're drunk, you got these gore effects all over you. You're actually tied to a bed with these two actors holding you down, and if you say anything like let me up, they're just gonna think you're acting. I would actually want to be, you know, unconscious for that whole thing. So, um, yeah, that was a great scene. Probably one of the highlights of the movie. I I also want to talk about the definitive scene of the movie later on uh, when we get to that in the plot. But uh, it's just this movie is full of iconic stuff, like stuff that you'll remember later on. This is my, you know, my first viewing of this movie. But I think I'll remember that scene uh, later on the piano scene, and then the final showdown with the werewolves. Like long after you know seeing this movie, and that'll maybe compel me to rewatch it.
0: Yeah, but uh, speaking of the screenplay, what did you think about the twist at the uh-huh. end? The that oh. Megan is a werewolf. She knows, you know, the captain, all that kind of stuff. What did you think?
1: Uh, for me, it was the the worst part of the movie, if I'm honest, or of the plot at least. It felt very contrived. It felt like, okay, do we really have to do this now? Megan was a good character, and they had to have some more of the characters die before the end of the movie. So they are like, how can we flip the script right now? Let's make one of the characters actually be a werewolf. And she let in all the werewolf people into the house. So now they're going to kill everybody. I don't know, I didn't really like that part because I was hoping Megan would be a good character. Um, it seems kind of crappy that the one like you know strong female character in the movie turns out to be a villain and then they immediately cap her so um yeah, not my favorite part though. I understand why they did it. I think maybe Neil Marshall felt like there hadn't been enough conflict between the human characters at that point. I mean, Ryan was kind of a non-problem for the most part. Until he transformed, he was just kind of like a jerk. Mm-hmm. So when they introduce a real threat coming from one of the people in the main group, it makes sense to me, but I still think it's out of place.
0: Well, it turns out Neil Marshall uh, in his commentary track, which I don't have, uh, but... I read that he said that was pushed on him by the producers in the last oh, couple like drafts that. of the screenplay. Yeah. It makes sense. The money men wanted kind of an M night kind of thing. Cause that was mm-hmm. popular at the time, but many have complained. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. Uh, I remember the first time I saw this, I didn't really understand the twist. It didn't seem logical to me. And I was like, I wanted to yell, you know, he didn't get out of the cock of duty car. Um, <laughs> sorry, misery reference. Um, But here's what I found. This is the IMDb trivia explanation for the twist, which may have been written by the producers for all I know. So here we go. Megan was not, as many assume, a member of the werewolf family, not an original member anyway. She states that she came to the woods to become one with nature, which is probably when she met the family and became friends with them. Either they decided to make her a werewolf because she was their friend or she was turned by accident. She was ashamed of being a werewolf and hoped the soldiers would would be her way out. There is a popular belief in werewolf lore that killing the original werewolf will cure anyone who has been bitten by them. Because she figured they were working with Captain Ryan, and she had met Captain Ryan before and probably assumed he was there to help administer some sort of cure, But once Ryan confesses the real reason behind his presence, that it was to bring the werewolves back to be used as weapons rather than being cured, she realizes that she will never be able to cease being a werewolf. She states there is no out, there never was. However, she still feels loyal to the family. Once Cooper realizes that the farmers are in fact the werewolves and decides to kill them, she chooses the family. She gets the soldiers to blow up the Land Rover, their only chance of escape. And only then does she give in to the transformation. All right. Now that I know that, Mm -hmm. on second viewing, it does make more sense. You can see it telegraphed throughout. But here's my problem with it. I think on a casual view, and I think most people going into a film called Dog Soldiers about werewolves Mm -hmm. are going to not want to analyze every single scene. They're going to want to sit back and watch werewolves versus soldiers. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think it's confusing. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I got it immediately, like upon watching it, but I didn't like it. Um, I got how it made sense, but I didn't think that the movie deserved to have that kind of twist, um, not because it isn't a good movie, but because it hadn't set it up well enough. Technically, yes, it works. Uh, and you can write a narrative around the stuff in the movie and that you're gonna you're gonna hate me for this. But, I kind of feel the same way about Friday the 13th and the novels, the novellas uh, about it, how they were just like, oh. How dare you,
0: sir. Friday the 13th, part two, the novella makes perfect perfect sense. Oh
1: yeah, it does, but it was kind of like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. So we're sweating. Uh, write a book, you know. Um, it feels the same way with this and with what the produce that like, uh, assumably the producers did. Um, you know, with this whole explaining Megan and her backstory, I don't think she needed that. I think she definitely could have been of like used to the protagonist. I think that she. You know, would have been a more interesting character had she not had that twist because it felt very out of out of her character to do that kind of thing because she had been there had been no hints of her being sinister earlier other than the fact that she knew Ryan, which I thought was like just a little bit of a like that twist would have been good enough. but then they went, you know, even further. So I would have personally preferred if she hadn't. Been uh, a werewolf, hadn't been part of this group, maybe not the family, but the group, uh, and had stayed with Cooper to at least, you know, the final showdown. Um, and I wouldn't have been surprised knowing Neil Marshall and how he uses strong female characters if she had actually been the one to survive and Cooper had been the one to
0: perish. Yeah, I, looking back on it, I think it would have been a simpler, stronger. You know, kind of thing, as if Megan had been studying the werewolves, she became friends with the family, studying the werewolves, but had become sickened by their brutality, especially after the campers were killed. and she wanted out. She was hoping that the soldiers could help her in some way, shape or form. But then, you know, when you know she discovers that Ryan wants to you know use them and but The rest of the dog soldiers want to kill them, that she can't bring herself to have them killed, cured maybe, but not killed. And then she turns on them or something like that. I don't think Mm -hmm. she had to be a werewolf.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And I think her werewolf transformation in that one scene is kind of laughable, how she just kind of blinks her eyes and they're yellow and she screams and gets shot uh, kind of a waste of a good character, if you ask me. It would have been way better if they had done it the way you you were suggesting. Yeah, I I definitely like that a lot better. Where she's kind of torn between these two worlds because she's a human, and you know these other humans are in need of her help. But also she's made friends with these werewolves, so she can't just see them killed. So she's gotta you know make a choice between those two. That's way more interesting than just she's a werewolf. So obviously she's gonna help the werewolves at the end. Um. yeah, definitely some work could have been done to the script in that aspect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Also, the idea that werewolves are mortal when they are in human form, mm-hmm. that's supposed to be foreshadowed by Megan cutting her hand on the glass. Again, not sure on initial watch that concept is clear. You almost have to think back through the entire movie, I think, to get that. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of exposition and explaining things. However, I do think that, you know, occasionally it works like Dr. Loomis in the original Halloween and maybe just a th- little bit of exposition, maybe just a little bit from Megan on werewolves could have maybe explained that. I don't know, but uh, it, maybe they didn't need to do that at all and just make like I said, Megan's not a werewolf and boom, it's just, you know, they shoot her when she betrays him or whatever. But I anyway, yeah. wouldn't, uh, wouldn't anybody cut their hand on glass, not just a werewolf in human form? I don't know. That's a good question. What do, you know, uh, what do werewolves do when they're not being werewolfery? I don't know. I don't know. I would I could have done with a sequel, basically, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Well, you brought it up earlier. Uh, Well, one other thing. I I didn't mind the idea that the soldiers were basically served up as bait to be werewolf. Mm -hmm. I liked that. You know, I mean, it's jerky, but, you know, you know, OK, so that, you know, the you know the special forces are going to treat the normal soldiers like, you know, eh, so what I think become werewolf poop as long as we get this weapon. I can see that. I, I didn't mind that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you brought up something earlier. Um, good gore. Uh, there's some good gory scenes here. Like my, one of my favorites is when the werewolf bites the head off a soldier and then throws the body at the Land Rover. Yep. I liked that a lot. Yeah. And
1: I think that was was that joe or or who was that i i get the names of the people in the i get joe mixed and up.
0: spoon get
1: confused yeah, yeah i think so. yeah Spoonie's the one that that lives to like towards near the end he's the one that uh he hopes that the the werewolf gets diarrhea whenever it eats him <laughs> um and then joe is the football fan who was the bait so um yeah. that that was pretty brutal. Him being eaten in the shed by the by the werewolves. That's the best gore in the movie, I think. And it really made me think, like, oh, if I was in that situation, they just threw my friend's head at the car, I would probably just give up there. I mean, it's just like that that's the same fate I'm gonna suffer, you know, whatever. Um
0: And then we had, learned that was basically a ploy yep. so another werewolf could sneak up behind him. Yeah. I liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the werewolves are smart in this movie.
1: I think in a lot of, especially in the like early to mid-2000s, uh, maybe even later, werewolf movies kind of turned into the point where the werewolves are basically just like to the point of those fast zombies where they're not really sentient. They just run as fast as they, as they can to attack things and eat them. Um, but these werewolves still have the mind of a human. They can't speak but they're cunning and they lay traps and they're, they're really smart. They know how to disable a car and like turn off generators and stuff. Yeah. So, um, I think that's kind of a cool idea. I how mean, they
0: turn since, the power off, man. They're yeah. Animals, I
1: mean, man, since, since, yeah, since, since, um, maybe the wolf man and the subsequent like sequels and remakes, there hasn't been a werewolf as smart as a human. They're usually just like big lumbering beasts. I mean, especially in like American werewolf in London where he just goes from a man to like a beast and then doesn't remember when he wakes up. So um, yeah, that was kind of refreshing to see that the werewolf had human intellect.
0: Yeah. I don't uh, trying to think back on, Uh, You know, Land of the Creeps just did a massive four and a half hour werewolf, you know, show. I haven't seen that many werewolf movies, though they're my favorite creatures. But when I think about werewolf movies that I have seen, you know, The Wolfman, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, Curse of the Werewolf, you know. Yeah, I don't remember a lot, if any, movies where the werewolves seem to be that sentient. But at the same time... If they're if they're you know if they're that intelligent I don't there is one disconnect there because Megan's talking about what a lovely family they are. Mm-hmm. Well, you know if they if they keep their minds when they're werewolves, I don't. Why aren't they out just hunting deer? I don't get you know. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah. If they're such lovely people, <laughs> you know, I'm not. Yeah,
1: that that and um, you know why would when they realize that they've got guns in there and stuff. I would just wait it out until the soldiers are gone. I mean, they're a threat to your livelihood and to the hunting grounds you've got there. So I would just, you know, if you've got the intellect of a human, even though you know you could kill them on a one-on-one like one-on-one fight, they have your house. I would probably just right. like leave it be. Uh, we see how that goes for them. Everything is blown up and their house is destroyed. So right. uh, didn't didn't go so great for them. Just you know, but whatever. Maybe maybe they're like they've got the intellect of a, of a little bit of then a sm, like smarter wolf. You know what I mean? Like they've got the
0: intellect of a wolf, but it's a but they little still bit have smarter. an instinct. They still have the wolf yeah. instinct, but the, yeah. it's kind of a mix kind of thing. So okay. so
1: they've they got human intellect, but they've got this overpowering uh, instinct to do these animalistic things. Sort of like uh, one of the characters is talking about when you have to pee, you have to pee, you yeah. know, <laughs> and it's sort of like that, but he was talking about transformation. I think it might be the same thing though, with like killing humans.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, what else do you want to talk about here, buddy? Uh, let me see.
1: I've got a I've got a couple things a couple things to point out. Uh, did you do you remember the professional soldier monologue that the sergeant gives?
0: A little bit, yeah.
1: That was really like I don't know. Whenever I was watching that, I had to repeat it a couple times. He's talking about how he knew what he was signing up for when he became a soldier. He's going to sacrifice himself for his men, and I was like. Yeah, I would do the same. That's so patriotic. And then I was thinking in my head, no, I wouldn't. I would run and hide. I'm such a coward. (laughs) The people in this movie, though they're portrayed as like buffoons, some of them, like Joe and Spoonie, they're portrayed as kind of like buffoons. They're way more brave than anybody I know. Uh, They're willing to put themselves as bait. They're willing to take uh, werewolves one-on-one. I mean, Spoon, you know, has a boxing match with a werewolf. I would not even try that uh it's kind of reminiscent of friday the 13th part 8 actually the scene where uh the guy boxes jason voorhees it's like why would you even try but um yeah the all the people in this cast are super like brave and i love how they're not just written as these mindless guys with guns they've got like real character to them so uh props to neil marshall for that uh you know, there is some really, really dark comedy in this. Uh, a lot of it comes from like how ridiculous the situation is. yeah um, and then there's just some of some like comedic relief from the characters I talked about earlier.. Uh, this movie, I don't know if it's just me, but it kind of reminds me of Twenty Eight Days Later and the vibe from it, uh, like in the way it's shot and edited. And okay, you know, yeah, you brought that up facts.
0: earlier. Go, yeah, go go into depth on that. How does it remind you of Twenty Eight Days Later? Uh, well,
1: I, I'm not really sure. I think it's maybe the way it's shot and edited in like conjunction with you know all their accents and the general uh, theme, like throughout the whole thing, this kind of dark comedy. Um, horror movie, action horror. Um, Coop kind of reminded me a little bit of of Killian Murphy's character from Twenty Eight Days Later, and that he's kind of uh, you know just your average Joe at the beginning of the movie, but then he really takes on a leadership uh, role by the end, and he becomes a lot braver and takes like a lot of real risks to to help the other people in his crew. Um, And it also kind of aesthetically reminded me, and this is kind of a, a big reach here, it aesthetically reminded me of peter jackson's first movie bad taste um really (laughs) just because like during during the gore scenes and i don't know it's just the way it's shot is so distinctive um it's got the kind of that grainy early digital maybe it's late film but i think it's early digital filmmaking um it just reminds me of that not that it's a horror comedy like bad taste or that it's like a contagion movie, like 28 days later. It's just got that feel that was coming from British movies at that time uh, and New Zealand movies, I guess, if you're talking about Peter Jackson. Right. It's just a really cool era for me. So that, that's what I meant by it reminding me of that. I was getting that vibe at some points in the movie, but it's not really something that's obvious, like on
0: a surface level. It's just a feeling. Um, See, it reminded me, and one of the reasons I've made so many cracks, mm-hmm. it reminded me of Aliens.
1: Yeah, I can I can see that as well, Um, although I don't think it did action as well as Aliens. That's probably because it had maybe a 16th of the budget.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. 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 But it just reminded me of Aliens in a lot of ways, except you didn't have really the coward character. Mm -hmm. But you had you did have kind of Ryan playing the uh, Captain Ryan playing the, the Paul Reiser kind of scummy, you know, character. And you had so it was and you had. Of course, spoiler alert for Aliens. Though I doubt anybody listening to this podcast hasn't seen Aliens from mm-hmm. 1986. You, you know, you have people sacrificing themselves there and all the other kind of stuff. So that's how it reminded me of uh, of Aliens. So anyway, all right. What else you want to talk about with dog soldiers? Okay
1: spoony and his fight against the werewolf in the kitchen the boxing match in the kitchen yeah the boxing match and later knife fight in the kitchen was brutal i mean he is putting up a good fight but when it got to the knife scene where he's stabbing the werewolf over and over again there's this blood pouring all over his face i was like he might be the first guy to kill a werewolf uh, and then, no, there are two of them uh, and yeah. they're both fine. So not exactly. Didn't didn't go well for him. He's turned into a pile of goop by the end of the movie, which is super gruesome when he uh, the sergeant digs that watch
0: out of that pile of blood and guts. Ugh. Yeah. Um, but, you got to have silver, folks. Either yeah. that or was it uh, what did Marty use in silver? Bullet? was it a bottle rocket? At least a, could he blind a werewolf with a bottle rocket? Or Well,
1: I mean, that that actually reminds me they use uh, cameras to get you know kind of flash them in the eyes and that seems to drive them back kind of like a strobe effect so i'm thinking is this part of the mythology is this part of the lore now that werewolves are blinded by bright lights and are like repelled by them because that kind of reminds me of like a vampire or a creature of the night yeah but um you know that that was kind of new for me this and silver bullet introduced the idea that you know these werewolves can be driven off by things other than silver
0: yeah yeah Yeah. Well, uh, to be fair, I mean, the mythology is kind of fluid because at least according to John Landis, um, nearly all of the rules when it comes to werewolves were just created by the screenwriter of the Wolfman. Mm -hmm. I mean, he just made them up.
1: Yeah. I mean, from a, a lot of things I've seen, werewolves are usually like they use the rules of a vampire, but there's just less than the rules of a vampire. Like, There's none of the turning into a bat stuff or flying or anything. They just take, like, the silver thing, which was originally for uh, Dracula. I mean, they kill Dracula in the novel with silver knives. Um, So, I mean, it feels to me like every movie takes its own, you know, crack at the mythology and changes it a little bit, which is fine by me as long as they explain it well enough. And I think Dog Soldiers does a pretty good job of showing us that in action.
0: Yeah, the the one downside, you know, there's always that thing. Would you rather be a vampire or a werewolf? Mm -hmm. And even though werewolves are my favorite creatures, if I had to choose between the two, I would be a vampire. And here's why. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I would, too. I don't think anybody would dispute that. You don't want to wake up naked in the middle of the woods every day. Well, that and two words. All right. Well, three words, if you put the connector here, the conjunction fleas and ticks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) I mean, if I was a werewolf, Mm -hmm. I'd have to go out and find like, you know, one of those uh, uh, flea and tick collars for Mm -hmm. like a Great Dane or something. Right. Or a St. Bernard. I mean, I'd put one on every night. I mean, come on. Um, All right. So what else do you want to talk about with uh, with uh, dog soldiers? Just
1: one more thing. okay? Mm -hmm. the the ending and then the end credit scene probably the most masterful things I've seen in a horror movie that year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, grim ending where everybody's dead except for Coop and the dog, right. but it's somehow triumphant in a way. I mean, I was happy the dog survived, but that's an, that's a, you know, entirely separate. Uh, you're,
0: you're a dog lover. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I am. Too. Um, it was super grim that everybody was dead, but I kind of dug how it was like a heroic, like Mad Max style ending, like a, a man and his dog just out on the world. <laughs> right. Um, And then the end credit scene, where we see the pictures taken of the werewolf throughout the thing, (laughs) and then the newspaper. Where the story about uh, Coop and his whole platoon being killed by werewolves is a footnote compared to the soccer story, which is covering the front page. Well,
0: because it's on a a tabloid, right? That's the best he can do is to convince a tabloid.
1: Yep. So it's like England versus Germany, you know, huge football game. And then in a little corner, an actual werewolf attack, actual werewolf sightings. How did Coop explain this to the world? That's my question. When he said they were werewolves and nobody but a tabloid believed him, and they might not have even believed him, you know, very much, because he got just barely a a footnote. Um what did he say? I mean, they can't possibly say he did all of that because there is no way he could have
0: overpowered all of those people. All Ah, that said an explosive, I guess, because there's nothing. Yeah. He doesn't really have, that's the other thing. He doesn't really have any evidence, does he? I mean, even the, the photos wouldn't have existed to be fair. Uh, the whole thing exploded. Right. But the photo thing at the end where you see the photos, uh, when they were snapping the, uh, flash at the uh, werewolves, that's taken straight from Rain Man. They do that in Rain Man. Whenever, you know, Raymond takes pictures and all the pictures are shown during the end credits. So he kind of took it from that. But I liked him doing that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah you know, it was great, funny. good poets borrow, great poets steal. Yeah, it was funny. I, and I did like it. I agree. It was and if, if you remember the end of The Descent, he kind
1: of did the same thing with that. Uh, the last thing we see is the photo of the group that they took before They went down into the caves. Oh, that's right. So I was thinking it was kind of a precursor to that. So when you're watching a Neil Marshall movie and they take a picture, that means something. Wait till the ending, I guess. (laughs) Right. I'm trying to
0: say. Right. Right. So. All right. Anything else on Dog Soldiers before we uh, do our rating and recommendation? I think that's it. I'm ready to, to rate this sucker. All right. So what do you rate Dog Soldiers from 2002?
1: For me? I think that this is an eight to eight point five out of ten. Yes, it's a high priority stream. it's it's streaming on shutter and uh,
0: prime, I think or is it is it free on Prime or is it for rent? I know it's on shutter. The problem is because I have shutter through through prime that it it's hard to tell. You can't tell. yeah, right. So
1: it's definitely on shutter. Uh, And you can always buy it on home releases as well to get that uh, director's commentary. But if you like Werewolves and or, you know, Neil Marshall's
0: other work, I would definitely recommend that you stream this. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I'm right there with you. I, uh, in my notes, I said it rated an 8.5 out of 10. I call it a buy. I'd watch this again. And, uh, but I would only buy the Scream Factory Blu-ray. The, there is a cheap, like, Uh, $8.99 Blu-ray out there, but all it has is like the the only extra features are like the trailer. That's Mm -hmm. about it. But the Scream Factory Blu-ray has a commentary by Neil Marshall and a making of. Um, So the blue from 2010, ignore that go ahead and shell out the money for screen the screen factory Blu-ray. I plan on on doing that once I know I actually have income if we ever get this, <laughs> you know quarantine lifted. But anyway, um, folks, stay tuned for our pick for next week, which comes from a guest, which we're excited to mm. have on. Uh, but in the meantime we would like to announce something. We've previewed it for a while. Our Patreon page is now live. If you go to Patreon, you can look up Father and Son Watch Horror Movies, and you can find us. Uh, we have a beginning level of $2.50 a month. Uh, we would appreciate all the support we could get. Um, other than helping to pay to keep this podcast going, um, 90% of the proceeds, if we can get what we want, go to helping a... a uh, not starving, but you are pretty thin. So you look mm-hmm. pretty hungry. So a hungry yep. aspiring horror filmmaker, uh, that would be the sun. And so there are different levels, um, there, but all Patreons, regardless of level, will be getting some bonus content that should be dropping here in the next month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to do some, uh, commentaries. We're going to do some bonus yep. episodes. I've,
1: I've got some great things planned for you. Patrons. I, I want to hint at something. Um, I'm going to be doing as as kind of a dry run a commentary track and and, and the father and I am go, are going to be doing like ones later on, but the first one uh, will be a movie from nineteen eighty nine it is cheesy as can be it's uh just a terrific guilty horror horror movie for me so look forward to that it's going to be a hoot. I've got things to say about this movie, and I'm already looking forward to recording the commentary track
0: that is awesome so In the meantime, you can find us online at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. I may be blogging during this quarantine if I get the chance. Unfortunately, I'm you know, still working full-time from home. I've got two doctorates that I'm trying to juggle, (laughs) uh, trying to bone up on my ancient Greek and Hebrew, but uh, I'll try to uh, do some, maybe some werewolf-related, you know, uh, blogging. I've uh, been thinking about that. You can also follow us uh, on uh, the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We also have a closed Facebook group, which is small, but just request it. Where can they find you on social media, buddy? On Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore
1: Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. Uh, on Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero,
0: one word. I've also got a YouTube channel. You can find that in my bio on both those websites. There we go. So, And you can find me as Pastor Matt R on Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, be sure to check out some other cool podcasts while we're all quarantined, including Horror Movie Podcast, Land of the Creeps, Retro Movie Geek, Terror on the Tube, and the Huh? Podcast. Uh, all of them are buddies. Next week, we will have, for the first time on the show, the one and only Andred on to talk about Don't Breathe from 2016. That's going to be cool, right? I look forward Mm -hmm. to
1: that. Yeah, I think I've seen it once, but I've been really looking for
0: an opportunity to see it again because, from what I remember, it was fantastic. Absolutely, and it's on Amazon Prime as well, so you can rewatch it there. Uh, Folks, until then, be safe. Practice social distancing, wash your hands, listen to a lot of podcasts, watch a lot of horror movies. As Michelle and Dino say, be kind to each other. We appreciate you listening. Say goodbye to the good people, Jackson. Goodbye, and remember to grab that super glue. Yeah, always have some super glue. Until next time, remember that the family that watches horror movies together slays together. See ya.